The following audio is from Central Christian Church, located in Portales, New Mexico. To connect with Central, go to centralwired.org.
Good morning, church. In the book of Luke, chapter 15, starting in verse 4, it says, Suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and lost one. Wouldn't you leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the lost one until you found it? When found, you can be sure you would put it, on, put it across your shoulders rejoicing. And when you got home, call your friends and your neighbors saying, Celebrate with me. I have found my lost sheep. Count on it. There is more joy in heaven over one sinner's rescued life than over 99 good people in need of no rescue. Or imagine a woman who has 10 coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and scour the house looking in every nook and cranny until she finds it? And when she finds it, you can be sure she'll call her friends and her neighbors. Celebrate with me. I have found my lost coin. Count on it. That's the kind of party God's angels throw every time one lost soul turns to God. So from 1989 to 1997, we would tune in every Friday night for a series of TV shows called TGIF. Thank goodness it's Friday. And we would join in and we would we would watch Steve and we would see just how bad Steve was going to get spurned and rejected by the love of his life, Laura. Every Friday night, it never failed. He had this love. She was his beauty. Never to be denied, Steve was in constant pursuit of Laura. He never stopped. Week in and week out, we would watch. He would be called names. He would be laughed at, made fun of, made to act like a fool. Yet it didn't stop his relentless pursuit of the love of his life, Laura. Now, some of you may not know, some of you may know, this is the one and only Steve Urkel. And Steve had pants up to his chest, and he spoke in a weird, obnoxious voice. But it didn't matter exactly what happened. It didn't matter how bad Laura was denying him or rejecting him. He still pursued his love. So I ask you, do we pursue God daily like Steve pursued Laura? You know, we're tasked with demonstrating God's relentless pursuit to this sometimes chaotic and un- unfriendly world. You know, we, we, work, we walk out into the world daily, and sometimes it's unfriendly. Sometimes we get laughed at. Sometimes we get yelled at. But that doesn't stop what we're called to do. Are there people in your life that 
are right now a place that you used to be whenever God was pursuing you? All of us in this room are at a different point in our lives. You know, some of us are still being chased. Some of us are in the middle of our flock. But it doesn't stop God pursuing us. So what does that mean? What do we need to do? Okay. Um, Psalms 46 verse 10. We know the first part of that verse very well. It says, be still and know that I am God. Be still. For it's when we are still and we are quiet that we can truly understand just what God wants for us. You know, it's in times of quietness that we see and we experience God's relentless pursuit. You know, so often we quote the first part of that verse, be still and know that I am God. But it goes further than that. Let's, let's, let's extend it past that. It says, uh, be still and know that I am God. I will be honored by every nation. I will be honored through the world. Our being still allows us to know that he is the one true God and he will relentlessly pursue us to be exalted above everything. Psychology tells us be still, be calm, take time for meditation, for developing inner serenity. But the Bible says be still and know that I am God. He doesn't say, be still and know a better way of life. He doesn't say, be still and have a good, quiet life. He says, be still and know I am God. So now I'm going to put this back onto you. So what do, we, what do you have to do? We must daily make time for God. His pursuit for us is unending. Remember, you must be still. In being still, you will be able to hear God. In being still, you'll be able to know God. And you'll be able to experience his relentless pursuit. You know, I'm reminded of a song that we're fixing to sing. Before I spoke a word, you were singing over me. Before I took a breath, you breathed your life in me. When I was your foe, still your love fought for me. You know, your love chases me down. It fights till I'm found. It leaves the 99 in pursuit of the one. You know, I heard it once said that leaving the 99 is not that important until you're the one that needs to be found. 
God's pursuit of us is relentless. It never stops. Do we pursue Him in the same way? As we come to this table this morning, as we partake of this wonderful image, make sure that you're in a place that you're pursuing God in the same way that He's pursuing you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Lord, thank you for your reckless love that that seeks us out wherever we are and finds us and brings us back to you. Lord, I pray that as we go through this week, Lord, that we will take time to be still and we will experience you in a new, mighty, and miraculous way. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.
I have this friend. Uh, I won't mention names, his initials are West Weems. Um, <laughs> he and I have this interchange almost every Sunday. He's not here, so I can make fun of him. But um, if you're watching online, brother, I love you. And we have this interchange almost weekly. And we come up, we see each other. Hey, man, how you doing? I'm just tired. Anybody have that? <laughs> we sit there and we talk about, well, how much we sleep we got or how much sleep we didn't get or, you know, we're still not recovering. We're still, I'm just tired and worn out. Anybody? Anybody just feel tired all the time? I used to go to camps and do camps all summer and do all kinds of events. I went to camp this year. I hurt myself sitting. I sat down and hurt myself. I, I think I pulled a muscle in my leg last week and I was hurting and I couldn't figure out. It was doing laundry. I, I, this is ridiculous. I, I, I don't understand this. This getting old business is hard. Do you remember when we were younger and we could do multiple things at the same time? Like here's one of my favorite things I used to be able to do. I used to be able to clip my own toenails and breathe. You're laughing, but you're doing the same thing. You're at home going, clip, 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 clip. You know, it just hurts too much. We're just wore out all the time. Sometimes life just wears you out. And let's face it, life can make you tired and weary. Our world can wear us out. Well, I'm tired and so weary, but I must go along along till the Lord comes and calls me away. Great song written by Thomas Dorsey. Not Tommy Dorsey of big band uh, fame. Thomas Dorsey was a black musician in the early 20s. It uh, was recorded by Mahalia Jackson, Elvis, uh, Randy Travis. Tons of people have covered that song. There will be peace in the valley someday. See, I think some people will sing that song or they'll hear it and they go, yeah, but they don't really believe it. Sure, Don, there will be peace someday. Not this day. I'm too worn out. I, I can't make it. How do you deal with life when life is the thing that is wearing you out? Does that make sense? When you're just worn out. We're in this series, Streams in the Desert. We're actually finishing it today. We've been through the summer looking at how God refreshes us in dry times. We started in Isaiah 35. Springs will gush forth in the wilderness and streams will water the desert. It may look bad. When we actually were writing and starting this series, everything was brown. We hadn't had any rain. Now it's all green. It's all amazing. And it proves that God can bring refreshing even to dry land. Even when it doesn't look good, He can restore and refresh. We started talking about Joshua and the book of Joshua where where He was sending people out to conquer the land. He was dividing out the Canaan land, the the promised land, to all of the tribes of of, uh, Israel, and everybody was getting their section. We're going to go back to that in Joshua chapter 14. I hope you'll join us online and in the radio and everybody looking at Scripture together. We want to be a Bible-believing church. We want to be a Bible-using church. We invite you to have your app open, your Bible open, whatever it is. In Joshua chapter 14... I'm going to start in verse 6 and look at a very special section of land that was dispersed to a guy named Caleb. In verse 6, a delegation from the tribe of Judah, led by Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, came to Joshua at Gilgal. 
Caleb said to Joshua, Remember what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, about you and me when we were at Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh to explore the land of Canaan. I returned and gave an honest report. But my brothers who went with me frightened the people from entering the promised land. For my part, I wholeheartedly followed the Lord my God. So that day Moses solemnly promised me the land of Canaan on which you were just walking will be your grant of land and that your descendants forever and that of your descendants forever because you wholeheartedly followed the Lord my God. Now as you can see, the Lord has kept me alive and well as he promised for all these 45 years since Moses made this promise, even while Israel wandered in the wilderness. Today, I'm 85 years old. I'm as strong now as I was when Moses sent me on that journey, and I can still travel and fight as well as I could then. So give me the whole country that the Lord promised me. You'll remember that as scouts, we found the descendants of Anak living there in great walled towns. But if the Lord is with me, I will drive them out of the land just as the Lord said. So Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave Hebron to him as his portion of land. Hebron still belongs to the descendants of Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, because he wholeheartedly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Caleb is sometimes referred to as the forgotten spy. There were 12 spies that went into Canaan, Joshua and Caleb, and the other 10 just disappeared from the planet. Joshua goes on to be the big leader. He gets his own book. But Caleb, what happened to him? Now, it's interesting here, a couple of facts that may or may not matter to you, but it, it is specific to mention several times that Caleb is the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite. Now, you may go, what does that matter? The Kenizzites, he comes as a representative of the tribe of Judah, but the Kenizzites are descendants of Esau, Jacob and Esau. Those two got along really well, didn't they? They did not. There was great division. Jacob goes on to lead the tribes of Israel, and Caleb attaches to the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Israel, but he is not one of the tribes of, Judah, of Israel. Yet Caleb's name means all heart. It says in verse 8 that he followed and he served with all his heart. He never gave up on God's ways. Notice I said he never gave up on God's ways. Not his own ways. This is the way I want it. No, he said this is the way God said it was going to be. And he goes on to remember, remind Joshua, hey, remember, dude, I was there. I saw all the descendants of Anak. I saw those giants. I saw all of that, but our brothers struck Fear in the hearts of the people. They made them afraid to go in there. And fear started taking over. They saw the giants and they hid and they saw themselves as helpless. Friends, sometimes the Holy Spirit can't move in our lives because we don't have any space for Him. We fill it up with so much of our stuff and our concerns and our things that He can't move us. You see... When, we, when God's blessings are drowned out in our life by our challenges, we're going to feel weary. We're going to feel worn down. Fear will set in. Caleb saw through the fear. He saw what God could do, but the others saw the fear, and it, and it gripped them. I love this from last week because this is exactly what Caleb is doing. He is grabbing on to what God has already said. Hey, man, that's going to be your land. And he is, he is hanging on to what God has already done. He is grasping those together, and he's living that way. 
And that is what He is calling us to do. But you may be sitting there going, yeah, Don, that's great and all, but you don't understand what I'm going through. I'm a single mom. I don't, I don't have any rest. I don't have much hope. You don't understand, Don. We've got to go back to the doctor. They want to run more tests. You don't understand, Don. I've I got to fill out another job application. I, I don't know how to do all of this anymore. You don't understand, Don. These mandates, they just keep coming down, and all I see is all of this stuff around me. And it starts swallowing me up. Friends, Caleb uses a word that is a key part to dealing with tired. He uses this word, remember. Remember what the Lord said to Moses. If you're dealing with tired and you're dealing with fatigue and you're dealing with worn out, remember. I started playing with this a little bit. And remember is a word we use in church quite a lot, specifically talking about communion. This do in remembrance of me. So I just started goofing around in concordances and on the Internet and looking at how many times this subject comes up in the Scripture. I stopped counting at 300. There's probably more. There's over 300 references in the Bible to remembering, remembrance. The whole Passover celebration is remember what God did for you. Remind you of what God has done. You see, when we remember what God has done, it reminds us of what is possible. It doesn't remind us of what is going on. It reminds us of what is possible. You hearing me? But the real kicker to this story shows up in verse 10. In verse 10, he says, I'm 85. Let's go. I mean, can you hear him? He's like, I'm 85. Come on, we got to fight. I, I, somebody give me a sword. I got to kill somebody. You know, he's ready to go. And he lists his abilities. He lists his age. He lists the promises. You know what he doesn't list? He doesn't list what he can't do. Well, I'm 85. My back kind of hurts. Uh, you know, doesn't do that. He doesn't list all of the things that are wrong. He doesn't list all of the challenges. He lists all of the things that are in him, that are about me. Friends, we long for purpose in our life. If you are still breathing, you have purpose. You can amen that. That's pretty good right there. If you are still breathing, you have a purpose. This 85-year-old in verse 12 says, Give me the hill country. Give me the challenge. I'll get to it. Let's get after it. But what if you, what if you have physical limitations? What if you have mental limitations? What if you have financial limitations or kids or you're dealing with depression? Look in verse 10. Caleb says, he kept me alive. Listen, folks, if you don't get anything, get get this. You have purposes, plural. There's a lot of people that say, oh, I just, I guess I'm alive for this purpose. God never works in, in one purpose in your life. There are multiple things. If you are still breathing, there are still more things for you to do. Don't list what you can't do. And don't stop looking for the opportunities. Don't stop believing that He can use you. Because Caleb trusted wholeheartedly. Do you? I'm not trying to call anybody out. I'm just asking, do you trust Him with everything? Do you trust that God knows his stuff? Let me ask you a real question. Is it feasible, is it possible that Caleb could have had some doubts in those 45 years? 
uh, 45 years, somewhere around year 13, would it be easy to go, these Israelites are knuckleheads. They're wandering around out here in the desert. They're never going to get this figured out. He knows good and well. They're not lost. They're at any time between 10 and 15 miles from Canaan. They were there because they were punished. God said, you will be there for 40 years. He's sitting there looking at 40 years. I'm going to be in my 80s. Would it be easy for him to doubt? I think it would be very feasible that he doubted. I read this story this last week, and if one of you posted it, I apologize. I'm not giving you credit. I can't remember who I saw it from. But it was a good story, so I'm not trying to be plagiarizing. I'm just telling you I don't remember who to give credit to, but some of you, somebody posted it. So uh, it was a story about a, a little country church, and they were having a men's breakfast. And uh, uh, they had a visiting pastor from down the road, and they came in. They were having a men's breakfast, and he asked this old farmer to pray. Guy gets up, combo legged, he's wearing overalls, and takes his dirty old cap off and bows his head and he says, Lord, I hate buttermilk. And the preacher kind of gives him the one eye. You know, if you've got one eye closed, it's still a prayer, but I can, you know, I can peek around. <laughs> Don't lie and tell me you haven't done the same thing. <laughs> so this old guy goes, I don't like, I hate buttermilk. And then he goes on, I hate lard. And by that time, pretty much everybody's giving him the one eye, looking around, what is going on? And then he goes on, he says, And honestly, Lord, I don't really care too much for raw white flour, but when you mix them all together and bake them, I do love me some warm, fresh biscuits. And then he goes on. So when things come up in life that we don't like and we don't understand, help us to just relax and wait until you're done mixing. It'll probably be even better than them biscuits. Let me ask you. Are there things in the last couple of weeks that have happened that have frustrated you? Are there things in the last few weeks that have worn you out? And you get frustrated and angry and why doesn't this happen and why aren't they fixing this and why is you hearing me do you trust that god knows what he's doing what if the mess that we see and these people got to fix this and i don't know what's going on what if we can't see the end product what if god is still mixing and maybe we need to just lighten up and listen to him. You hearing me? I am not mad at anybody. I don't want you to ever say, I don't want you to be an American and speak your mind. But as a Christ follower, could we trust God more? Just asking. I'm reading this book called If We Then God by a guy named Rusty George. It's a really interesting book. If we trust, then God proves trustworthy. If we if we hope, then he gives us more hope. And in here he says this. A guy named Dr. John Walker, he quotes, he says, We all say we trust God, but trust isn't a yes or no. Trust is a pie cut into several slices. We typically trust God with only a few slices, and we often keep a slice or more to ourselves. What slice are you keeping to yourself? Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's your school situation. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's your relationships. 
Well, I, I think I know better how to fix this. Do we really? Do we hear ourselves when we say this? Or do we really trust that God can fix all of these situations for our good and for His glory? Amen? Now I want to make a brief and pretty tragic shift. Jesus talks about this very same concept uh, over in Matthew 11. And I want you to join me in Matthew 11. Uh, So it's jumping all the way over to the New Testament, but these tie together. And Jesus is speaking to some people that are really struggling. Now, right when I start talking about tired and weary, some of you are already quoting a verse that you're going to hear in this. And you're going, oh, I know Don's going to go to that verse. Yeah, that's fine. But I started headed to that verse. And in context, this thing, wow, this jumped off the page. Okay, you ready? Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. At that time, stop. Okay, look at chapter 11. Look at what's going on in chapter 11. If you have headers, you'll notice at the beginning of chapter 11, it's John the Baptist has been put in prison. He's later on going to be beheaded. So there's a lot of conflict. Then you'll see the next section, Jesus is, is saying, woe to all these people, you're going to go burn in hell, and it's pretty ugly, and it's kind of a, a tense passage. And then this one, if you have headers, mine says, Jesus says a prayer of thanksgiving. And this is what he says. At that time, Jesus prayed this prayer. O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. My Father has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the Son except the Father, and no one truly knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Then Jesus said, Come to me. Here we are. This is the part you all knew was coming. All of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, for you, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Now, did you notice how he started these things? Hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever. Could that be you and me? Could that be our government? You hearing me? Could be a lot of things. That he is keeping things hidden because he sees the end and we don't see the end. We see the now. Maybe that's just you and me. Either way, if it's them or if it's us, where does he say to look for the answers? He says, come to me. Now, I want you to hear this. When Jesus is saying this, he is headed to Jerusalem to die. And the people that he is talking to are really really oppressed, not inconvenienced, not annoyed. They are really oppressed. When Jesus is crucified, there are are a lot of experts that believe the tax rate in Capernaum, where he did most of his preaching, was close to 60% of your income. How You hearing me? (laughs) You're like, okay, we all hate the IRS, all right? But we really only hate them on about April 15th, all right? But these people had tax collectors set up everywhere. It could be a weekly. It could be a monthly. It could be a daily. It could be come up with a new one. And they could, the tax collector could just stand up and say, all right, everybody owes me another this for this new tax. And if you don't comply, the Roman soldier that is right here smashes you in the face. Or he kills you. Or he goes and kills a member of your family. Or they just go and take your animals, your whole livelihood. 
If you speak up about it, they'll kill you, they'll kill your family, they'll burn your house down. They will stand there and look at everybody else and say, anybody else got anything to say? This is oppression, people. That is real, true oppression. This is fear that you couldn't say anything, you couldn't do anything, you had no hope, you had no voice, and no way it was going to get better. And Jesus comes along and he says, are you tired? Are you tired of all of this? Then come to me. He didn't say, speak out. He said, come to me. I will give you rest. Where do you go when you're tired? When you're weary? Go to the bottle? Do you go to binge watching? Maybe it's the gym. Maybe you go to the pantry. Look, I understand. Self-care is a big catch term nowadays. You can't pour from an empty cup. I get it. And, and I agree with all of this. But if you will look really close at Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30, Jesus in there nowhere says quit. I think I've preached this wrong for years. I think I had it in my head. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and you don't have to do anything. I'll take care of all of it. You see, that's not what he says. Look really close at what he says in context of what he says. He says, I will give you rest. And pardon me for quoting my own article in our weekly newsletter, but sometimes we need rest. We carry things that we were never meant to carry. They were not our job. Yes, we need to take care of our family. Yes, we need to put food on the table. Some of the things that we carry are not our business. Lay them down and pick up his stuff. And do you hear what he says? True rest comes from putting on a piece of equipment. What? He wants us to work? Yeah, listen. Jesus said, take my yoke. As I said, I preached it. He'll do all the work. That is absolutely not what it is. I started looking up in Encyclopedia Britannica what a yoke is. For those of you that are under 30, an encyclopedia is a book. All right? They had them on shelves. They weigh like 400 pounds. No, now we have them all on our iPads and stuff. But uh, Britannica said for a yoke to work, it needed two things. It needed to fit. And that's where the horse collar came from later on. And it needed to distribute the weight because two oxen could do the work of four or five or sometimes eight oxen if the yoke carried the weight of the trailer, of the plow, of whatever it was they were pulling. It was to distribute the weight. And you know how they trained young oxen? They didn't say, all right, you young ox, you sit here and you watch him. No, they tied them to an older one. A more experienced one. And hear what Jesus says. Take my yoke upon you. The strong one would lead, but the younger one would still have work to do. And here's the best part. The work. The work that you need to do. Don't go out here and say, Don wants us to work harder at being a Christian. The work you need to do, learn from me. Be in my presence. Let me give you rest. He didn't promise you'll never have a burden. In fact, he promised to give you a burden. He said, take my burden. It's light. I'll carry you. You see, friends, if you're worn out from everything that's going on out there, lean into him. This song, Peace in the Valley for Me, 
Thomas Dorsey was born in 1899, born uh, a, a black itinerant preacher's kid. And his mama taught him to play the piano, and he loved playing in church, but it was the nightclubs that paid the bills. And that's where he'd go to get paid, but he, he'd do that on Friday and Saturday and do church on Sunday, and so much it tore him up. He was so confused. He had a nervous breakdown. One time in 1940, he was riding a train, and he had just been at the movie theater and seen the newsreels of Hitler bringing his tanks into Western Germany and just demolishing everything. And right as he was thinking about that, they came over a hill in a veil, and, and he said, I saw sheep and horses grazing, and everything was so peaceful. Why can't, why can't mankind figure this out? And he sat down and he wrote this chorus. There will be peace in the valley someday. Our God wants you to have that peace. He wants you to have that peace this day. If you are worn out and weary, come to Him. His burden is light. He will carry you. Would you stand and sing a little bit with us from Peace in the Valley? Thank you for listening to audio from Central Christian Church in Portales, New Mexico. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To connect with us, visit our website at centralwired.org.